Welcome to Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkopf, Features Editor at Jezebel. And I'm Prachi Gupta, Senior Reporter at Jezebel. Last week, Donald Trump kicked off Black History Month with this little gem. Frederick Douglass is an example of somebody who's done an amazing job and is being recognized more and more, I notice. Yeah, the abolitionist who died in 1895, who Trump and Sean Spicer, his tiny friend, feel is still alive and doing more important work than ever. He's doing pretty well for someone who's turning 199 this year. I hope that I, like, really hit my fame. Like, I hope I get noticed on Twitter when I'm 199. (laughs) Like, Forbes, 199, under 199. Later in this episode, we're going to speak to Columbia Law School professor Catherine Frankie about our dick of the week, Jeff Sessions, who is up for the role of attorney general. He's a very appropriate dick of the week for Black History Month, I think, because he's such a racist. He is opposed to affirmative action and a whole lot of other things that help people of color and immigrants and black people. Civil rights nightmare. Um, But first, before we do that, it's our week in weenies. As our producer said earlier, Let's get ready to skewer some weenies. So our first weenie of the week is Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, and some of his fellow Republican lawmakers. They've been going after sanctuary cities. Uh, so first of all, a sanctuary city is a city or a county that has vowed to protect undocumented immigrants from deportations uh, from the federal government. So, Well, so basically a sanctuary city is just like not a narc city. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So Greg Abbott does not like sanctuary cities, and neither do many people in the Texas state government. Neither does Donald Trump. So he recently signed an executive order that would punish sanctuary cities by withdrawing federal funding from them. Greg Abbott is also threatening sanctuary cities within Texas. So one badass official, Travis County's uh, sheriff, Sally Hernandez, has stood up to this, and she said no. We are going to stay a sanctuary city. We've been a sanctuary city, and we're going to continue to be one. And that really pissed off Greg Abbott. So he retaliated because he's actually an angry toddler by withdrawing $2 million of funding from the county and then vowed to come after sanctuary cities even harder. And then a few days later, the Senate pushed through Senate Bill 4, what is it's Senate a, Bill 4? So Senate Bill 4 is a very, very harsh bill that cracks down on sanctuary cities and the officials that enforce them. Um, and if passed, this is crazy, Joanna. So <laughs> local governments would lose state grants and be subjected to steep fines of like t- up to $25,000 a day. Uh, so that's one. Two, officials who support sanctuary cities could go to jail for up to a year and face $4,000 in fines. And there's more. How is there more? There is more. So then victims of a crime that's committed by an undocumented immigrant who wasn't turned over for deportation, those victims could sue the local officials. Okay, so you can sue a local official for causing you personal harm just by by allowing a policy to exist? Like, who do I sue for these— Freaking stupid Republicans passing all these stupid policies. <laughs> Our next weenie of the week is Kellyanne Conway, the eternal weenie. In an interview with Chris Matthews on MSNBC, she defended Trump's Muslim ban, 
the topic of our last podcast, by citing a specific terrorist attack. Two Iraqis came here to this country, mm. were radicalized, and they were the master, masterminds behind the Bowling Green Massacre. Well, I mean, most people don't know that because it didn't get covered. So what she was likely referring to was CNN reports that Obama ordered the re-vetting of up to 58,000 Iraqi refugees in 2011 after two Iraqi citizens living in Bowling Green, Kentucky, were arrested on terrorism charges for attempting to send weapons and money to al-Qaeda in Iraq. Okay, to be clear, there was no attack. There was no There attack. was no massacre. Nobody died. Injured, except— Maybe the truth. <laughs> the truth died. <laughs> the truth died that day. Okay, so she later claimed—Kellyanne later claimed to have misspoken. She says— that she meant to say the Bowling Green terrorists, even though, what, whatever. But she also reportedly used the phrase Bowling Green Massacre two other times within that week. She said it to Cosmopolitan and TMZ, um, and she used basically the same language, which I find so depressing. I mean, I know it's her job. But to Cosmopolitan, she said, quote, the masterminds behind the Bowling Green Massacre of taking innocent soldiers' lives away. And to TMZ, she said they were, quote, the masterminds behind the Bowling Green attack on our brave soldiers. And I, I do feel that this is such a sad demonstration of the miserable life that Kellyanne leads and that she says the same talking point so many times that she forgets what's true and all words lose meaning. And she's probably so psychically bored <laughs> that she, like, doesn't know what she's saying anymore. Anyway, in an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper on Tuesday of this week, Kellyanne apologized. I felt badly about that, and I apologize and I rectify, but I want to say something else about that. I'm very happy to have raised awareness. Raised awareness about what? Well, the she raised awareness of the Bowling Green Massacre. That never existed. It's, it's kind of genius. She's now created a massacre that never even existed. I mean, did it not exist? In the Bowling Green Massacre, I lost my ability to feel Joy and sexual pleasure. <laughs> That's not true. I <laughs> sometimes feel joy. I'm very sorry for you and for all the victims <laughs> Thank you. of the tragic Bowling Green Thank you Massacre. you being respectful. Our third weenie is Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos is a billionaire who was just confirmed as our next Secretary of Education despite not having any experience at all with education policy. You know— I want to say just congratulations quickly to Betsy DeVos. I used to think that only the only people who could succeed so powerfully and undeservedly were wealthy white men. But now I know that also wealthy white women are capable of succeeding so aggressively in government. And at least that's kind of feminist. She's it's not. She's breaking it's not so at all. many glass ceilings right now. <laughs> yeah. Billion, the billionaire glass ceiling. Billionaire glass ceiling <laughs> of succeeding gap. despite not deserving it. Guess how much she's donated since 1980 to Republican senators who are currently in office? I don't know, but I bet it's more money than I've ever seen. It is. Yes. Well, I assume so. It's <laughs> $115,000 since 1980. She also, she is a big proponent of school vouchers and critics fear that she's going to privatize public education. She has said that she wants to create God, quote, God's kingdom on earth. And in her confirmation hearings, she basically suggested that schools are 
that guns are okay in schools to protect from, quote, the grizzlies? Well, I, I will refer back to uh, Senator Enzi and the school that he was talking about in Wapiti, Wyoming. I think probably there, I, I would imagine that there's probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies. Betsy DeVos, and along with every single Republican who voted for her as education secretary, and Vice President Mike Pence, who broke the tie that confirmed her officially. Which has never happened before. It has a vice never president happened. has never gone to break a tie. Yeah, we've, we're certainly making cabinet. history with this confirmation. Yeah. Um, so they are all weenies of the highest order and should all personally be held responsible when our next generation of children start to believe that, like, math is the language of the devil. <laughs> That's true. And all sorts of other <laughs> I mean, I already things. believe that. That's, Yeah. Half of America does already. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to do a new segment. We're going to try it out called Weenie Cage Match, where we put all these weenies together, see who's the worst of the little weenies. Praji, who do you think? I think that Greg Abbott and his gang of Texas lawmakers are really big bullies. <laughs> and you think they're the worst? It's, worst of the week? It's hard to say who's the worst of the week. I, It's like, for me, it's sort of a tie between them and, and DeVos. And really? The, yeah. Oh, I so disagree. I think Kellyanne is the worst weenie of the week. Really? Yeah, because Kel, these people, Betsy DeVos is, just seems like she was invited to be secretary of education. She believes that people should only go to private school and that disabled children shouldn't have any Shouldn't only have only any that, resources. only those terrible things. Yeah, but I think she believes them, and I think Greg Abbott believes that sanctuary cities are bad and hiding people who are breaking the law. I think Kellyanne believes nothing, and it, because she, I think she thinks she's above it all, and I think she's decided to put aside any morals that she has and say garbage for the next however many years. I think that, that's worse. That yeah, I see that. I think that makes it harder pr to predict what she might do or say. Yeah, because um, but, who has her allegiance? But I think that DeVos and Greg Abbott and all the lawmakers who are supporting them, to me that's really scary because they've proven to be ideologues who also have real political backing now to do really whatever they want that they've, you know, this is like a wet dream for Greg Abbott and his <laughs> and, and all the Republican senators in the Texas government. And they're going like. They're going so hard against undocumented immigrants right now and who's going to be next. No, they suck. I'm not saying that they don't suck. I'm just saying that I think these guys are little pawns who have been not brainwashed, but like they've because brainwashing is kind of like a stupid term. I think they have agency to learn whatever they want. But I think that they have values that can be changed by education or something. <laughs> well, but I don't think Kellyanne has values. Well, you know, speaking of values, maybe we're at a tie moment here because I think that while Betsy DeVos has clearly has strong ideological values, the Republicans who support her, I mean, their values seem to be similar to Kellyanne's, which is that it's That's about true. money. It's about ultimately where their paycheck is coming from and where their source of power is. And right now that's what they're being uh, – serving allegiance to, not really the children. Not of, the children. Not the children. So <laughs> Of America. Yeah. Okay, so let's say the worst weenie of the week are all the Republican senators that voted for DeVos. I support that.
now moving on to our Dick of the Week, Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions. To introduce him, I'm going to also introduce one more weenie, who is Mitch McConnell. On Tuesday of this week, Senator Elizabeth Warren was on the Senate floor on the eve of Sessions' expected confirmation, and she was trying to read a 1986 letter that Coretta Scott King wrote criticizing Sessions for his civil rights record. Uh, So when she started to read it, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell objected. He said, Senators impugn the motives and conduct of our colleague from Alabama as warned by the chair. Uh, So Warren didn't yield the floor. McConnell objected again, and he cited this thing called Rule 19, which prohibits senators from ascribing, quote, to another senator or to any other senators, any conduct or motive unworthy or unbecoming of a senator, which feels like an insane rule, especially if they're just speaking truthfully. So like if a senator behaves in a way unworthy or unbecoming of being a senator, you can't say it. Also, she was quoting a civil rights icon. I know. Okay, it's insane for a number of layered, as many reasons and as many layered reasons as an onion. So I would like to point out here that just this is a bunch of white Republican senators ganging up on one of the few women senators. Who's trying to read a letter. Who's trying from to read Coretta a letter from another from a black woman <laughs> who is a civil rights icon. So <laughs> let's just keep that in mind. There's yeah. some misogyny here along with some racism. Yeah, yeah. Good good to keep in mind. So uh the Senate voted down the party line 49 to 43 to silence Warren until Sessions confirmation hearing had been concluded. And McConnell later explained his motive in a quote that has rapidly become very famous. And in an article written by Gabby Bluestone, they said it was Elizabeth Warren's upcoming campaign slogan. And it really chokes me up. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. Wow. Wow. It reminds me of when Donald Trump called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman. I know. Because she was speaking about policy. Nasty woman, like, deserved to be a slogan, but nevertheless, she persisted. Really really gets me in my gut. Um, But Warren read the letter anyway later on her Facebook page. The irony of Mr. Sessions' nomination is that, if confirmed— He will be given life tenure for doing with a federal prosecution what local sheriffs accomplished 20 years ago with clubs and cattle prods. So two um, male senators have since read the Coretta Scott King letter on the Senate floor, I guess to be in solidarity with Elizabeth Warren, but they were not stopped. Why am I not surprised? It's it's, the misogyny is cartoonish. It's cartoonish. It's if we were writing a TV show about this, it would be slashed for being too on the nose. It would be, exactly. It's not smart. It's not. Or subtle. So Jeff Sessions has been a major figure in Donald Trump's campaign and his eventual presidency. He was one of the first members of Congress to endorse Trump last February. Um, he helped shape many of Trump's most hateful policy proposals, including the immigration ban. But— Pachi, who is this little turtle man? Well, I think that's Mitch McConnell, Joanna. <laughs> He's another turtle. I think Jeff Sessions. There are a pair of turtles. Yeah, yeah I see like, that. Like a different sort of turtle. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay. He graduated in 1969 and then University of Alabama for law school where he graduated in 1973. So this is 
right exactly the time when MLK is leading the Selma to Montgomery march when Bloody Sunday happened in 1965. Sessions was a high school senior while that happened. He was living in a small town 30 miles away from bloody from where Bloody Sunday happened. Um, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he claims to have been completely unaware of Martin Luther King Jr. or any civil rights activity that was going on in his state at the time. How is that possible? Because he... Like, when you see all those white people in those pictures from civil rights era, he's one of that. He's, like, one of those guys sitting at a table not caring what's going on outside. Well, you have to actively block out what's going on, basically, to For not sure. know. You have to willfully not know. You have to willfully not know. So um, in 1986, when he was 39, Reagan nominated him to be a federal judge. But things did not go so well for Sessions at the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings. What'd he do? (laughs) (laughs) So the most troubling testimony came from an assistant U.S. attorney named Thomas Figures. He was a black lawyer who worked under Sessions. And he basically warned the entire committee that Sessions is super racist. So in his testimony, Figures said that Sessions had numerous times told him to, quote, be careful what you say to white folks, and that he thought that the NAACP and a couple of other uh, civil rights organizations were, quote, un-American organizations teaching anti-American values. Interesting definition of American there. Yeah, very interesting. Very specific. Yeah. So according to figures, Session also closed two civil rights investigations uh, prematurely, despite figures' recommendations of otherwise. And he didn't initially want to pursue a case over the lynching of Michael Donald. So the Michael Donald case was a a young black man was lynched by—it was discovered to— Klansmen, two members of the KKK, but originally no one knew who had done it and there weren't a lot of suspects on the table. So uh, according to figures, Sessions just wanted to pass off the case. But then later on, eventually the FBI got involved and there was a hearing and then Sessions did get on board and he joined in the prosecution of two Klansmen responsible for lynching Donald. Congratulations to Jeff Sessions for eventually getting it up to prosecute two Klansmen. Well, and here's the here's the uh, kicker, Joanna. <laughs> While working on the case, according to figures, Sessions allegedly joked that the KKK was, quote, okay until I found out that they smoked pot. That's like the Even- only thing that would be okay about the KKK. <laughs> that's like a crazy thing to say. It's – yeah, that's the kind of thing where that's that's not – a joke like you don't make a joke like that especially in the civil rights era when when you're one of the racist people in all those pictures <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think that he saw himself as one of those white racists in the civil rights era this is listen to his defense uh during one of the confirmation hearings in 1986 i am not a racist i am not insensitive to blacks i have supported civil rights activity in my state oh <laughs> so, <laughs> want to know a really good way to tell some if somebody's racist? What is a good way? If they're in a confirmation hearing with a lot of other senators and they have to yell, I am not a racist. Another good way is to have someone say the KKK is okay <laughs> until they smoke pot. 
So the allegations of racism tanked his shot at being a federal judge, uh, which is actually a really big deal because he was Reagan's first unsuccessful nominee and the second nominee to be rejected from a district court bench in nearly 50 years. Wow. So it seemed like the, you know, the hearings did their job. Oh, oh, to be back then. (laughs) Um, I want to give an overview of all the bad opinions that Sessions has had, but they have, there have been so many, and he's voted against so many good bills and voted for so many terrible bills that I'm just going to try and do a quick little overview. So in 2014, the National Review, which is a conservative magazine, declared him, quote, amnesty's worst enemy since he's opposed nearly every immigration bill to pass through the Senate that includes some way for people who are in the country who are undocumented to receive documentation. And also Sessions doesn't even like legal immigration. Like he doesn't want people to come here at all. In a 2015 Washington Post op-ed, he argued that legal immigration is, quote, the primary source of low-wage immigration into the United States. What we need now is immigration moderation, slowing the pace of new arrivals so that wages can rise, welfare roles can shrink, and the forces of assimilation can knit us all more closely together. That language, the forces of assimilation can knit us all more closely together, it makes racism sound almost poetic. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's it's a, impressive. Yeah, it's a great turn of phrase. So other than that, his politics are basically as bad as you can get. The Washington Post has a good overview, which we can link to in the blog. But he loves torture. He once voted against an amendment banning, quote, cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment of prisoners. He once called carbon pollution plant food that doesn't harm anybody. Um, He's extremely homophobic. He voted in favor of a constitutional ban on same-sex marriage against a bill that would provide workplace discrimination practices for LGBTQ people. There's so much more I can say. Probably should I keep (laughs) even saying it? Um, No, that's – I mean, he sounds like he is a politician invented in Steve Bannon's dreams. He is, except the thing about that is that he's also extremely establishment. Like, he couldn't be more of an opposite to Loretta Lynch or Eric Holder, the AGs under Obama. So he's obviously going to completely flip anything that they've done. But he's also not like a Steve Bannon who kind of came out of nowhere that Donald Trump plucked. He's been in the Senate for decades, and people love him, and he works with people. And that kind of is scarier because— he can use he can work within the system and to what, do yeah. the same types of things. And what he's doing isn't going to be interpreted as back. like flailing, right? Um, and Trump has uh, also made it pretty clear that he wants a yes man to run the DOJ. At the end of January, he fired Acting Attorney General Sally Yates because she said that she would not enforce the immigration ban. So Trump then appointed Dana Bente, who promptly enforced the ban. And I think the fear amongst Democrats is that Sessions is going to help Trump bend the law to continue to do what he wants and that their policies seem pretty aligned. But this is especially ironic because in 2015, when Sally Yates was being confirmed for deputy attorney general, Sessions grilled her over and over and over again to make sure that she would be able to stand up to the president if necessary. Like any CEO with a law firm, sometimes the lawyers have to tell the CEO, Mr. CEO, you can't do that. Don't do that. We'll get us sued. 
it's going to be in violation of the law. You'll regret it, please, no matter how headstrong they might be. Do you feel like that's the duty uh, of the Attorney General's office? I do believe that that's the duty of the Attorney General's office, to fairly and impartially evaluate the law and to provide the President and the administration with impartial legal advice. In other words, Yates was doing her job in exactly the way Sessions had expected her to do it, but it's not clear that he would be able to even uphold the values that he says are so important. Or he just will never disagree. I feel like under Sessions, everything is unclear because under Trump, we can't predict anything. But one thing we can predict is that civil rights will take a real hit. (laughs) You look kind of manic right now. little bit more context on Jeff Sessions and what he might do as an attorney general. We have on the show Columbia Law School professor Catherine Frankie. Professor Frankie runs the Center for Gender and Sexuality Law. She's the faculty director of the Public Rights Private Conscience Project and chairs the board of the Center for Constitutional Rights. She's also the author of Wedlocked, The Perils of Marriage Equality. Catherine, thank you so much for being here with us. It's my great pleasure. So first, can you tell us what the function of the Department of Justice is and how does that differ, say, from the Supreme Court? Well, the the attorney general does many things. And it's important to know that the president has his own counsel as well, his own lawyer. That is his personal uh, lawyer giving him advice about proposed policies that he might be pursuing. So that lawyer within the White House, the Office of Legal Counsel or the White House counsel itself, is a different body than the attorney general, which is the primary legal officer, not for the president, but for the government more generally. And so what the attorney general does is defend the United States government in court. For instance, uh, I chair the board of the Center for Constitutional Rights. We sue the United States government all the time, as does the ACLU and many other organizations. And it's the attorney general's office, the Department of Justice's office, to represent the United States government when it's the defendant in a lawsuit. But, you know, the other thing that the attorney general does, which is so important, is it often uh, enforces the law. It will take affirmative steps to make sure that the law is complied with. And that's that's where we worry now uh, that, that this attorney general, if confirmed, will basically dismantle the civil rights division of the Department of Justice um, uh, and uh, take no enforcement actions relative to constitutional violations um, committed by states or by private parties in the case of statutory discrimination. So could you talk in a little bit more detail what tools Sessions would have if he wanted to dismantle the Civil Rights Division? What could he practically do? Well, there's nothing that requires him to actually have a Civil Rights Division. There's just a history of there being a department that enforces civil rights with that expertise. Uh, This happened when uh, Ed Meese was appointed uh, attorney general. He basically defunded and fired uh, most of the staff in the Civil Rights Division. um, And those that remained uh, litigated in ways that represented the interests of white people in civil rights cases um, uh, and sought to weaken the Voting Rights Act and other federal civil rights acts. So I expect we'll see something very similar, that they will um, uh, let go of much of the staff and they'll appoint someone to be the head of the Civil Rights Office with a very small, skeletal staff 
who will actually use that office to undermine um, what are the intents of, of federal civil rights law, the intents of those laws, um, uh, in pretty aggressive ways. That kind of brings up the question for me about how partisan the law can be. Sessions, when he was AG, he defended this Alabama law that barred LGBT groups on college campuses from receiving public money. So that was Gay, Lesbian, mm-hmm. Bisexual Alliance versus Sessions. And then a judge later later overturned it, saying that wasn't constitutional. So was that a case of bad judgment or of Sessions having malicious intent or of him trying to promote some kind of ideology under the law? Like, how does how does Sessions' personal ideology function within the AG office? Well, reasonable people can disagree about what the Constitution requires. Um, uh, that happens all the time. Uh, what we shouldn't disagree about is whether the federal courts have the authority to, uh, to interpret the Constitution. And what we saw, what we've seen from Jeff Sessions when he was uh, Attorney General in Alabama, and what we've seen from him in Congress is that he refuses to respect the rulings of the Supreme Court or of the federal courts uh, that he disagrees with. So he's engaged in subterfuge time and time again to undermine the rule of law in Alabama uh, when, he was an attor- when he was attorney general and he lost uh, a number of fights having to do with uh, voting rights uh, or having to do with gay rights or a number of other issues. Um, and he has encouraged uh, the Congress and others to ignore well-settled constitutional legal interpretations by the Supreme Court and the federal courts since he's been in the Senate. And this is very similar to what we see uh, Donald Trump doing as president when he tweets that a so-called judge issued a stay of his Muslim ban uh, and shows manifest disrespect for the federal court system. So, you know, you lose some and you win some uh, when litigating in front of the federal courts about what the Constitution requires. And if the chief legal officer for the United States and the president of the United States refuse to respect the properly issued rulings from the federal court, what we have is a constitutional crisis uh, of an enormous magnitude. Uh, and we should all be very worried about this. How do you work with that? What are you supposed to do? Do you have to replace sessions? Is there? A, do you have to work your way up the courts? How do you fix also, that? Also, what does that mean? Well, this is why John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, describes him as a Confederate attorney general. You know, after the Supreme Court ruled in the mid-50s in Brown versus Board of Education that Southern schools, blacks at all schools, had to be desegregated, you saw enormous resistance to that Supreme Court decision in the South, throughout the South, uh, and the likes of um, uh, uh, Governor Wallace and others saying, you know, the Supreme Court can do what they want, but we're not going to follow it. And President Johnson had to call in the National Guard to enforce the Supreme Court's orders in, uh, in Little Rock when um, Governor Favis refused to uh, desegregate the schools. Hopefully, we won't get to a constitutional crisis of that magnitude where we have to use military force um, to gain compliance with Supreme Court rulings. But it sounds a little bit like that's where we're heading, given the way that President Trump has responded to losses in the federal courts. And my hope is that uh, Jeff Sessions, as Attorney General, will feel the weight and the magnitude of the office um, in such a way that he respects the way that the Constitution uh, uh, apportions power in this country, and that the Supreme Court 
uh, has the last word on the meaning and reach of the Constitution. Professor Catherine Frankie, thank you so much for being here. I am both, I feel <laughs> better educated and also more terrified. Yeah, same. <laughs> You just got Constitutional Law 101 in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> That's what I wanted. <laughs> and now for our favorite segment, How to Handle the Dicks. We're going to tell you exactly what we're doing on a daily, small, stupid basis to maintain our sanity in the time of Trump. Prachi, what are you doing? Well, this, I feel like every day feels like a month right now. Yeah. So I'm finding, I just have to keep going. <laughs> a different. I have to rally myself at different right. points in the day. But this weekend, I, for those of you who've been following my very intense personal saga of this, my sprained ankle, <laughs> by which I mean our probably like one devoted listener, shout out to Jane. <laughs> That's, that's my jo- mom. That's Joanna's mom, who's a very lovely lady. <laughs> She's a devoted listener. And a devoted listener. I I went for a run. Wow. It was great. Congratulations. Thank you. And it was such an important release for me. I was sore for the next three days, but it was worth it. And then and then after that, that night, I went dancing and I danced for like five hours and I love to dance. So it was just a great, great release and then I tired myself out so much that I basically slept for half the day the next day and I was just exhausted myself to the point where I couldn't really worry about that's great I'm so proud of you for running and for dancing your heart out thank you (laughs) um my very small things Prachis are always like good and uplifting and mine are so stupid. But here are two things I've done this week that I just thought of. One, I was having a lot of trouble sleeping because of anxiety, but also because of physical comfort. And I went to Bed Bath & Beyond and I bought all new sheets, all new pillowcases, a new pillow, and a new duvet. It was grotesquely expensive and I didn't look before I did it. But I replaced all the sheets and now my bed is dope. Nice. What's what is? Can you describe it? What is the colors? Okay, or patterns. I am aesthetically not gifted. I don't know how to like pair. Neither am I. Things. Um. So my bed, it's all it's all white. It's just like white sheets and white duvet and white pillowcases. Um. But it looks like you're in a hotel. I love it. Hotel beds are always the best. They're the most comfortable. So I think that's not a bad thing. Yeah. No. It's. I'm loving it. And then the other thing I've been doing is. Um, is uh, being kind of like obsessive about like flossing and brushing my teeth because they're kind of like yellowy. How is that related to Donald Trump? I think I'm missing the connection There's here. No, it, it's no connection, Prachi. Oh, I'm just saying okay. it's something I'm obsessed with. <laughs> it's just saying it's just it's helping, like a goal it's a that I'm working of towards. Your anxiety in some way. Is it? I don't know. Yikes! Wait, is it not good that both of my things for how to handle the dicks are like? whitening themed <laughs> should we like think about it no i think that that's okay until you phrase it that way i just had a panic <laughs> flossing isn't about whitening your teeth really it's just about keeping plaque out you're right yeah crisis averted constitutional <laughs> crisis averted <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks so much for listening to Big Time Dicks, and please rate and review us on iTunes so other people can find the podcast. This show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Mondana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. We featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader, and the episode was mixed by Brad Fisher. Got a Big Time Dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag BigTimeDicks. We'll see you next Friday, and who knows what the world will look like then. 